0: Well, we are in week four of our series, Forward in Faith, in which we're just talking through, the going through the book of James uh, and talking about the, the characteristics of a mature faith. What does it look like to have a faith that is mature? What does it look like? What kind of faith is Jesus calling me to? Is God calling us to? What kind of faith does it look like? All right, what, what does real faith look like? And so we've been talking about this. We've been talking about some characteristics is found in the book of James over the last three weeks. In the week one, we talked about how faith perseveres. Right, James one verse two. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you when you encounter trials of many kinds. All right, consider it joy when you go through trials. Is, is one of the one of the paradoxes of Scripture, I think. But uh, as we talked about that week, when the goal of the going through the trial, when the goal of getting through the trial is to to grow in God, to get closer to God through this, then you can find joy in any circumstance. When the goal is God, there is joy there. And so uh, we can have joy even in the midst. Faith perseveres. The second week, we talked about a faith that obeys, a faith that doesn't just listen, but a faith that does what, it's, what it says, right? Uh, James uses this ridiculous analogy of a mirror. If you Listening and not doing is like looking in a mirror and then walking away and completely forgetting about what you look like. Right, faith, faith, <coughs> faith obeys. And last week we talked about how faith loves. Right, true religion is this: to take care of the orphans and the widows, to take care of those in need. Right, and we talked about the the responsibility that we have with our words, and we'll continue talking about that next week. But this week uh, we get to the back half of of James chapter two, uh, and and if you want to turn there in, in your Bibles, James chapter two, we're going to start at verse fourteen today uh, if you're in one of our pew bibles on page 855 Um, and as you turn just a little bit of context just to to make sure we're on the same page again as we get going this morning james was written by james obviously the but this is james the brother of jesus who is one of the leaders in the church at this time Uh, and he's writing to believers who are being persecuted who are discouraged and they are scattered all over the place right these are the people that he's writing to uh, and sometimes it's easy to look at James as a how-to book. There's so many, so many different commands. This this easy to look at James as a this is a how to be saved book. All right, this is not a how to be saved. If you do all of these things, you will be saved. Right? This is a as as someone who believes in Jesus, as someone who, who claims to follow Christ. This is this is the way then we should live. Right? It's not a how to be saved. It's how to live as a saved person, right? How to live under the authority of Christ. This is, this is what this book is all about. And so we're just going to jump right in this morning. James chapter 2, starting at verse 14, which is where we left off last week. <clears throat> Here's what it says. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? By my deeds. You believe there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and they shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. I think you can, you can already tell what I'm going to be talking about this morning. All right. Faith. Acts. Faith acts. There has to be action with our faith. There has to be action there. I think this is a, a great passage. But I think to really fully understand where we're coming from this morning, we need to fully understand what James is talking about here when he writes this. Because James, James is thinking about faith and deeds in maybe a different way than you and I would think about faith and deeds. See, when James talks about faith. He, James is talking about an intellectual thing. James is talking about having the right beliefs, believing the, 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 the right things about God, knowing the right things about God, knowing the truth about who God is, knowing the truth about what God can do. This is a, a cognitive thing for him. That for, sometimes for faith, for us, it's more of an all-encompassing thing, right? But faith for James is just simply an intellectual thing. It's having the right ideas about God. And Deeds, for James, is putting these right ideas into action. See, these are are so connected for James. Faith, I just want you to remember this. Faith is is the right beliefs about God, and Deeds is putting those right beliefs into action. I, I just want to read this just one more time, just a little piece of this, with those phrases in there. And I want you to listen to this. I'm going to replace... Faith with the right ideas about God and deeds with actions. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have the right ideas about God but does not translate those ideas into action? Can such ideas about God save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way... Right ideas about God by themselves, if not accompanied by action, are dead. But someone will say, you have the right ideas about God, I have the actions. Show me your right ideas without the actions, and I will show you my right ideas by my actions. You believe there is one God, good, even demons believe that, and they shudder. Do you see how this makes a little more sense now as we talk about what James is trying to say here? James's big idea here is that true faith is not just about having the right ideas, but about putting those right ideas into action, actually living as though we believe what we say we believe, right? James is addressing a particular issue in the church that he's writing to, right? There's an issue in the early church in which really what they thought was, if as long as I believe the right things, I'll be saved. As long as I just have the right beliefs about God, as long as I know the right data, I will be saved. And James is, is responding to this notion. He's saying that this is wrong. It's not just about belief. This is about more than just belief. This is about actions, right? And he goes into that. He even says in verse 19, right, you believe there's one God. Good. Even the demons believe there's one God and they shudder, he says, even the demons believe that. I think James, even in this verse, is saying a couple things. First of all, he's absolutely affirming right belief. There is absolutely a cognitive dimension to our faith, right, just as there is isn't any relationship, in our relationship with God and in relationship with other people. You can imagine if one of your friends came to you and they said, hey, uh, you know, I've been dating this guy or girl for about a year and I think it's time I think it's time that we're going to get married and you say ah oh, that's great this is awesome I, I love the fact that you're going to get married what's where's he from I don't know well what about what about his family is he the only child does he, does he have brothers sisters I mean tell me about him what, what do we got going on here I don't know this just seems ridiculous, right? This is, this is what I'm talking about. There, there's a cognitive belief. There's a cognitive dimension to any relationship. I, especially now, after 10 years, I feel like I can answer most questions about my wife. Right? Think about that. There's, there's absolutely a cognitive... He's absolutely affirming right beliefs. And there's a, there's a dimension to our faith where we need to know the right things. We need to know about God's character. We need to know about about who he says he is. We need to know, and we need to be able to ask the tough questions of Scripture and actually be able to, to, to fight those through and to think those through and to be able to know what we believe and why we believe it and to be able to articulate what we believe and why we believe it. There's absolutely a cognitive dimension to our faith. But right belief is not enough, James says. I mean, think about this. James even says that the demons believe. The demons believe. The demons know what Jesus did on the cross, and they shudder. The demons know who God is. The demons know the character of God. The demons know that they are, they, they are on the losing end of this. But guess what? Their belief doesn't translate into anything. They don't do anything with the belief. Their belief doesn't lead them to repentance or obedience or anything. And, and I just want to say this morning, this might sound a little funny coming from your pastor, but I think there are a lot of people today with demon-like faith, a faith that believes the right thing, that knows all the right things, but doesn't translate that into anything. It doesn't lead to repentance. It doesn't lead to obedience. It doesn't lead to action. Even the demons believe, and they shudder. There's a cognitive dimension to our faith, but if we don't translate it into anything, I'm afraid we have more of a demon-like faith than anything. And I think there are a lot of Christians sitting in churches today with demon-like faith. Because it's easy to come into a church and to sing the songs and to hear a sermon and to read the Bible and to say amen and to do all this stuff and leave and not let it change a thing. Faith has to have action. Faith acts. Belief is not enough. For James, true faith is always visible. True faith is always visible. True faith is is never meant to be a private thing. You know, we, we hear this all the time. Tell me if you've heard this before. Tell me if you've said this before. Actually, don't tell me. Just... My faith, you know, it's just between me and God. It's a private thing. It's just between me and God. That just sounds, it sounds so spiritual and so nice and so clean. But it's just not Biblical. Faith is absolutely a personal thing, but it was never meant to be a private thing. Faith is meant to be lived out. It's meant to change the way you live. It's meant to change your life. Faith is best witnessed, not by what you say, but by what you do. And I really do believe this today more than I've ever believed it before, that our world that we live in is sick and tired of hearing about people's faith of hearing the words that come out of Christians' mouths and not seeing anything in their lives that makes a difference. There was a survey like 10 years ago, and it asked people what the biggest difference between their Christian friends and their non-Christian friends was. And 10 years ago, the, the biggest, the, the number one choice was, my Christian friends go to church sometimes. That was a decade ago. Can you imagine today? Faith requires action. There has to be more than just a cognitive dimension to our faith. It requires action. Right? And saying, saying the right things is important. But if it's not authenticated by our lives, then, then really what's the point, right? So James is talking to us in this passage about what it looks like to have a faith that acts. What does it look like to have a faith that doesn't just believe the right things, but translates those right beliefs into action, right? And he tells this story. What, uh, uh, in, in James chapter 2 here, he tells this story. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in, <coughs> excuse me, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself is not accompanied by action, is dead. Here's a way that James tells us that we can have a faith that acts. Just like last week, to take care of those in need. Right? Last week we we even talked about that. Mercy over judgment. We talked about taking care of those in need. I'm not gonna kind of go over that, but James kind of says this again: a way that you can put your faith into action is to take care of people in need. Here's another way that you can put your faith and take your faith into action. Look at the example of Abraham, James says. I think, about, think about Abraham. Abraham received some promises from God. In Genesis chapter 12, Abraham receives this promise that, uh, that all people would be blessed through him. Abraham is 75 at this point. Fast forward two chapters and, and in Genesis, and Genesis, or three chapters, Genesis chapter 15. Right? He, he's that he's going to have a son. He's, he's 85 at this point. Promises he's gonna have a son, that he's gonna have descendants, that his descendants would be as numerous as the sand, as numerous as the stars. We see all this imagery as God's promising to, to Abraham, and and but there's a problem, right? The problem is that Abraham doesn't have any descendants. Fast forward a little bit, Abraham's hundred years old, and his wife Sarai is ninety years old. They still don't have a they still don't have a son. But God gives them a son, even at this, even at this old age. God gives them a son. And then God asked Abraham to do the unthinkable. Abraham, I want you to go up on the mountain and I want you to sacrifice your son Isaac, your one son Isaac, the son that I promised you, the son that, that I gave you, the son that I said the descendants would be as numerous as the stars. It starts with him. I want you to go and sacrifice him on the mountain. You can imagine as Abraham is going up on this mountain and just thinking, Thinking to himself, what is this? If this is true, God, if you're really going to have me sacrifice my son, then does that mean your promise is, is false? Did I do something? Are you taking back your promise? What is going on here? Hebrews chapter 11 is, uh, we affectionately call it the hall of faith. And Abraham is in here. And Ab- Abraham. Is known as a man of faith, but I want you to know it wasn't always like that. Right, you look in the earlier parts of Genesis, and as Abraham flees to to Egypt, he's afraid for his life and he's afraid for his wife, and so as they go into Egypt, he says, Hey, hey Sarah, I want you to pretend that you're my sister. I want you to pretend that you're my sister right and, and even later on as they're as they go on they hear this promise from God as they're they're they're, they're I mean, you're going to have descendants as numerous as the stars and then there's no descendants there's no babies there's no anything right and so Abraham takes things into his own hands and he has a baby with Hagar right and so by the by, by the time he hit 100 he got it i hope that gives us some hope this morning By the time he hit 100 years old, he finally got it. Because as Abraham was walking up on the mountain, here's what what Hebrews 11 says. Hebrews 11, verse 17 and 19. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham, I want you to just hear this first. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. This is the faith that Abraham had. He trusted in the promises of God. He trusted what God was telling him. He trusted in, in the promises of God. I think for our faith to become visible, we need to make a conscious decision to say, I trust in the promises of God. Where do we find the promises of God? Well, we've got to be in this book. We need to know what God says about who we are, about who he is. We need to, we need to know about this stuff. There are so many promises of, from God in this book that we need to know. And we can trust every single one of the promises that are in this book. I think as we do that, our faith becomes visible because we begin to, to live as though we believe what we say we believe. Our lives begin to change just like Abraham's life changed. I, 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 I always think about this, up the, going up the mountain with, with Isaac, his son, and Isaac just, hey, Isaac, or dad, where's the, where's the sacrifice? God will provide the sacrifice. Okay walk up a little bit more. Hey, Dad, we're getting a little closer here. I mean, where's the sacrifice? God's going to provide the sacrifice. Hey, Isaac, go ahead and get on the altar for me. Let me tie you down. Let me raise my knife and go for it. And then God stops him. Abraham, don't do it. Here's a sacrifice over here. There's a ram that's caught in the bushes. You sacrifice that. Now I know. Now I know that you trust my promises. All right, it doesn't get much more visible in faith than that, than raising the knife on your own son to sacrifice him, because God has told you to do that. Right, when you believe in the promises of God, your faith, it, it has to become visible. You can't believe in the promises of God and then not be a visible faith. It's impossible. So faith, faith in action, it cares for those in need, and it trusts God promises. Here's the the third one, faith in action, faith takes risks, takes risks. Here's what uh, verse 25 says in James chapter 2, in the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? I mean, we get to, to, to Rahab, we get to this this idea about taking risks, right? Rahab didn't know everything would be okay. If you don't know the story, it's in Joshua chapter 6, and you might know it as the walls of Jericho, right? They walk around the city, and, and the walls came tumbling down, right? This is, the, this is the story that Rahab is in. And as these spies go into Jericho to, to to basically get some intel on the land here, Rahab brings them in, this prostitute brings them in and says, Hey, if I, if I keep you safe, can, I, can you save my family? And the disciples say, or these, these Israelites say, absolutely. Yeah, and so Rahab takes them in, gets them outside of the city through, through the wall. And, and, and she's, I just want you to hear this. Rahab doesn't know that her family is going to be okay doesn't know that what she's doing is, is going to come through, but, but her faith was put into action as she took this risk. And, and her willingness to risk everything, the, it, her faith became visible. Right? True faith takes risks. And, and here's, here's how it paid off. In Matthew chapter 1, if you look at the genealogy of Jesus, there's only a couple females in there, and one of them is a prostitute named Rahab in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. All right, faith takes risks. Faith is being willing to, to give something, even though we don't know how this is going to end up. Faith is being able to say, like, hey, I've got a couple loaves and I've got a fish here. Do with it what you want. Faith is being willing to say, hey, God, this is how you've gifted me. I'm in. Just tell me where I'm going. And being able, as we take risks, and as, we, as our faith becomes visible, as we're able to, to take these risks and get involved in some things that we might not get involved with otherwise, right? God is able to use us, and God is able to, to give the glory to himself as people see us in action, as people see our love for Christ, as people see our faith in action, a faith that's willing to take risks, God gets the glory. I think that's the most amazing thing about this, faith in action, faith has to take risks. Faith has to take risks. Pastor Chris, but I hear what you're saying about this whole whole deeds thing, this whole works thing, if you will, right? I hear a lot in the Bible about faith and works, and and, uh, doesn't Paul say something completely different than what James is saying here? Now, if you're thinking that, I want to just talk to you for a second. If you're not thinking that, just you can hear me out as well. Go with me to, to Ephesians chapter 2. And I want to I show you what Paul says about this. <clears throat> we'll read verses 8 and 9 in chapter 2. <clears throat> Here's what Paul says. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Now, People use this all the time to have to, to be able to say, see, we're, we are only saved by our right beliefs. We're not saved by our works. I don't know why you're telling me I have to do these good things. I don't know why you're telling me that I have to live out my faith. Paul here says that it's by faith alone, right? It's by faith. Here's, here's the thing about this, right? Paul is, is, is writing this letter to an entirely different audience with with probably the exact opposite problem that the church that James is writing to has. See, the church that Paul is writing to here in Ephesus, and, and this letter was circulated all over the place, so we can, we can believe that it's a fairly common issue here. That The people that Paul is writing to here have this thing that, that there, there's a, prereq- a prerequisite to be saved. Right? To be saved, I have to do all these things. I, I need to be doing good works so that I can be saved. They, they had the exact opposite point of view as the people that James is writing to. And, and Paul is saying, look, no, we're not saved by our works. Right? Doing, doing good things is not going to save you. We're saved by faith alone. But, but faith for Paul is a much more complete picture than faith for James. Remember, James is talking about faith as just an intellectual thing. Paul is not thinking about that. Paul is thinking about faith in a much more more complete way. And faith does not start with works for Paul. Faith starts with faith. Faith starts with faith, but it doesn't end there. See, the problem with going to Ephesians and making the case that that Paul is talking about just faith alone from verses 8 and 9 is that you forget verse 10. And here's what 2:10 says, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Amen. So So they're not saying different things faster. No. Nope. They're saying the exact same thing. There has to be a response with faith. Faith has to have some sort of action. that We can believe the right things about God, but if it doesn't translate into deeds, as James says, or good works, as Paul says here in Ephesians, it's useless. It's demon-like faith. True faith requires a response. True faith requires action. It's caring for those in need. It's trusting the promises of God. It's taking risks. It's just Putting what we believe into action. Living as though we believe what we say we believe. Here's how James closes this out. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. I wonder how many of us this morning are, are guilty of, of some demon-like faith. Of believing the right things about God. Some of us have been in church for decades. Some of us are new to this, and that's, that's great. I, I love that. But I think it's easy for some of us to, to, to have all these right beliefs about God. We've heard hundreds and hundreds and thousands of sermons. We know a lot of really cool things. We've read the books. We know a lot of cool things, but if it doesn't translate into anything, then we've got some demon-like faith that we need to repent from this morning. Because faith has to turn into action. Faith without deeds is dead. I'm going to pray, and I, I just want us to think about that. Think about our faith. And maybe, maybe you've been struggling with some demon-like faith. Haven't been able to put your faith into action. Haven't been able to, uh, to put what you believe into action. Haven't been able to, to live like you believe what you say you believe. My prayer for you this week is that you would, you would do that. That you would live as though you believe what you say you believe. That you would put these right beliefs about God into action. We can't, just, we can't just come to church, have a holy huddle, and go out and, and do nothing and then come back and do the same thing next week. All right, there was, a, there was a, great, a great example in our small group a couple weeks ago about a football team. They said, if you went to a football game and uh, <clears throat> you're just so excited to see this football team play, and you go out there, you're excited, and they get, to, they get to go on offense, and they go out, and they huddle up, and they're, they're all so pumped to go and to do the thing that they said they were going to do. They're so excited to go run the play, right, and you're watching, and then they go to the sideline. And you're like, okay, is this weird? Ref throws a flag, has to get a delay of game penalty because you didn't run anything, right? You huddle up again, you're so excited, you're, you're in the huddle, just pumped up about yeah we're going to run this play it's going to be so cool and then you go to the sidelines again and you do the same thing but this picture is a picture of the church we gather together and we huddle up and we, we get so excited about what the, what the play that God is telling us to run and we get all right we're going to go do this and we're going to go do this Pastor Chris we we're going to go put our faith into action this week this is awesome we're going to go like last week we're going to go we're going to go love people we're going to go we're going to go do all this we're going to I love what you're saying here Pastor let's go let's go let's go and then we go home and nothing changes and then we come back the next week. Man, Pastor, this is, this is great. Man, I love all the stuff you're telling us to do. This is so awesome. And then we go home and nothing changes. We're like a football team that huddles up and then goes to the bench and does nothing. And if that's the case, we're losing the game. Amen. And there's a lot at stake in this football game. There are lives at stake in this football game. Amen. I don't want us to be this church that huddles up and then goes back to the benches. Man, we huddle up and we, we get excited here. We, we praise God here. We open the Word and we get excited about what God is telling us to do. But just like in James, we can't be people who, who listen and then don't go do it. Let's not be those people. Let's not be that church. Let's be a church that goes out and lives what we say we believe. Let's pray. God, we love you. And we're excited about, about what you're calling us to do this morning, God. God, it's, it seems daunting to have to go out and to, to live lives that may look a whole lot different than the places we're going and the people we know. God, if we truly believe that you are who you say you are, that you can do the things you say you'll do, if we truly believe what we read, thank God our, our lives need to be different. Our faith needs to be visible. God, my prayer is that as every week that we would go out from here and that we would make a difference in our community, that we'd make a difference in our world. God, would you, would, you, would you help us with that this week? Would we come back next week being able to celebrate not only you as we sing and as we dig into your word, but being able to celebrate what you've done in our lives this week and what you've done through our lives this week as we've reached other people for you. God, we love you. We give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? Let me just pray this prayer blessing over you. Just hold your hands out, receive this this morning. (coughs) May the God of grace and peace and love and joy, may he challenge you this week to go out and to, to make a difference for him may he remind you of who he is and what you know about him and may that shape and change you as you go this week go in peace in jesus